Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, of course, we're continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew, and of course, Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, he's the Messiah, the Savior. We're getting into chapter 12, and of course, into chapter 12, we're getting conflict, conflict with the religious leaders. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus. As Jesus is out there, he's doing miracles, he's teaching people to follow him, well, they reject him. And this morning, we're going to see the issues of power and authority. Because the religious leaders raise this question. Jesus is performing miracles. He's done a sign. But we're going to see that this morning what he does with this man who is blind and mute and what Jesus does. Well, then the religious leaders, they can't deny the fact that he is doing miracles. So they say that he's not doing these miracles from God. He's doing these miracles from Satan, that he's actually Satan's power. We want to look carefully at what happens, how it, how it goes. Let me, let me give you some just questions to think about. How do the religious leaders respond to Jesus and his power to heal? And then what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? And then how do people know what we believe? We'll see it as we talk through the passage. So there's a lot there. I think I was about 12, and I remember it was the middle of the summer. It was June, and I was in Mississippi, and where we grew up in Meridian. And I remember I was looking out our front we had a picture window, and I remember looking out, and I saw a car drive up, and two men got out of the car, and they had dark suits, and they had sunglasses on, and they started walking toward the door, and I happened to be the one to open the door, and they said, is your father here? And uh, dad, my daddy, was, he, he traveled Monday through Friday. He was always home on the weekend, so I said, yeah, I'll go get him. So I went and, and got him, and when, he, when my daddy came to the door, these men said, we're from the FBI, and we'd like to talk to you for a second. And I remember my daddy, I was standing there, and, the, and I just thought, FBI, you know. And, the, and the, my dad said, could you show me your authority? Could you show me the badges? And so they pulled out their badges. And what they did, they were looking for a man that used to work for my daddy years ago, and I think he'd done some things wrong. And so they were trying to track him down, and they were just asking my daddy if he knew where he was. But I remember thinking they showed their authority with their badges. Well, when Jesus was on the earth, he claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Savior of the world. He became, claimed to be the King of the Jews. In fact, as we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, that's the issue, that he's the King of the Jews. And what authority did Jesus use to show that he was the king. Well, his authority was these miracles, these, these signs that he was doing. And the Gospel of John actually tells us the many signs that Jesus did, but the ones written in the Gospel of John are to show that he's the Messiah and the Savior, and by believing that, you might have eternal life. And so as we look at the passage, Jesus is doing the things that the Messiah was supposed to do, that the king was supposed to do. And, of course, the religious leaders are against that. In fact, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they can't deny that Jesus is doing these miracles, so what they want to deny is the source of his power. They want to say that Jesus does his miracles in the power of Satan. And now, by the way, that's going to lead us into blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in just a little bit. We'll see it as we go through the passage. So we continue to see the conflict in my study. And this morning, we will look at this issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? You hear people say, oh, there's an unpardonable sin, and if you do that sin, you, there's no possible way you could ever go to heaven. Or people say, there's this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is an unpardonable sin. Well, let's talk about it. We'll see what the Scripture has to say. Let me break down the passage for you this morning. Uh, it's a long passage, but I'm going to go through it very quickly. Sometimes we go slower. This passage is a little bit longer. There's a lot of things in it. I just want to show them to you. Uh, we're going to see he's, he's the servant. He's going to quote Isaiah. The writer, Matthew, is going to quote Isaiah to show that Jesus is the servant of God found in Isaiah. And then Jesus casts out this demon, and we see the response by the Pharisees. And then Jesus answers the religious leaders when they say that he's actually from the devil. And we talk 
talk, he talks about sort of things like that, and we'll see it as we go through. Now, what we've been seeing as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, we saw the background of the king, which is the very first part. He was a descendant of Abraham and David. We saw the platform of the king, which was the Sermon on the Mount. We're now seeing the power of the king, which is his miracles. We're seeing the program of the king, which he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now, the, the, the conflict is coming. And as we get a little further in the book, the conflict is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And Matthew is showing us that as Jesus teaches and, and as he does these things, the religious leaders hate him. They know that if he keeps going and the people keep following him, they may lose their positions. In fact, we're going to see it later on in Matthew that they actually say that if people keep following Jesus, the Romans are going to come and cause some issues and then they'll lose their position. So they were afraid of losing their positions of power. They weren't believing in Jesus as the Messiah and the Savior. Last time Jesus talked about the Sabbath and he actually said he is Lord of the Sabbath and we ended the passage. If you remember, look at Matthew 12, look at verse 14, where, as this is where we ended last week after Jesus said he was Lord of the, the Sabbath and everything. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him. And so what we, what we notice is this, and I don't know if you've ever thought through the Gospels, but here's Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Matthew. He's got he, he walks around, he's got 12 men that he's chosen, which is his 12 apostles, also disciples. There are a lot of other people following him. There are women following him, there are men following him. He'll go places, there are these large crowds. He does not go and confront the religious leaders. In fact, every time there's a confrontation, the religious leaders come to him. I want you to understand, Jesus is not looking and saying, let's go over there and get those Pharisees. He doesn't do that. They come to him. The gospel, uh, the, the gospel of Matthew shows that Jesus fulfills the servant of Jehovah found in Isaiah, which is he doesn't confront, he just goes. And we'll talk more about it in just a second. So as we start, as we start this passage, we'll start at verse 15. We want to see about Jesus fulfilling Isaiah, and we'll talk about that because that's who he is. When you look at the Bible, a lot of people don't grasp it, but when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament keeps talking about a Messiah who's coming, who is the Savior of the world, that Messiah is the King, that Messiah is the Savior, that Messiah is the Son of God, that Messiah comes as a king, and Jesus fulfills all that. And so look what it says. Look at verse 15. This is right after they decide they want to figure out a way that they might destroy him. Look at verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, aware that they wanted to kill him, withdrew from there, withdrew wherever he was. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and he warned them not to tell who he was. Now, when he left the Pharisees who had been confronting him, he goes off sort of by himself. People, of course, follow him, and when he's following him, He's healing them, and he tells them, don't go tell people why I am, who I am. And we say, why didn't he do that? Well, number one, he wanted to avoid the opposition because the religious leaders are coming after him, but he also didn't want people following him just because he healed people. You know, there were times that he fed people, and people followed him just because he fed people. He wanted them to grasp who he is as the Messiah and the Savior and the King. And now watch. Matthew writes this because he says that Jesus got off away, people followed him, it says, this was to feel what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. So he's going to quote Isaiah. And this, of course, is Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. In the book of Isaiah, there are five places that are called the servant passages. 
And chapter 42 is one of them. So he's talking about Jesus as being the servant. So Matthew says Jesus is fulfilling Isaiah chapter 42. Look what it says. Let me read you verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. It says, Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved whom I've sold is pleased. This is Isaiah speaking. This is God speaking about the Messiah. I will put my spirit upon him. He shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. He will not, and it reads on and on and on. And the last verse of verse 21 basically says, In his name the Gentiles will hope. So actually Matthew is saying, Jesus Christ fulfills Isaiah chapter 42. He is the Messiah and the King. And so as we look at this, as he quotes Isaiah 42, this is the prophecy of the Messiah, the servant of God who's come to do the will of the Father. Let me look very quickly at this. He says, behold my servant whom I've chosen. The word chosen there means the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah. The word of Messiah and anointed one of the same word. Mashiach in the Old Testament, Christos in the New Testament, Messiah. And that's who he is. He says, this is my servant I've chosen. He's my Messiah. He's the right one. He's, I'm well pleased. You remember the father said at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the very end of the ministry, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He is the pleased with Jesus Christ. He shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, this may seem a little strange, but the gospel of Matthew... Jesus presents himself to the Jewish people. We've already seen that he's told them not to go to the Gentiles. Go to the Jewish people. He is showing himself as king. Before it's all over, the Gentiles are going to be the ones that look at Jesus and believe in him. Notice it says he will not quarrel. He will not cry out. He's not going to argue. He doesn't go after the the religious leaders. They come after him. He's not going after them. Then he says a battered reed he will not break or a smoke. But that means is he's not going to cause a bunch of issues. Every time there's an issue, it's because the religious leaders made it an issue. Even when Jesus comes into Jerusalem that last time, we haven't got to it yet, but when he comes in on what they call Palm Sunday and he comes down, all the people are shouting, who causes the issue? The religious leaders come up to him and tell him, you tell these people to be quiet. They caused the issues. Jesus never caused the issues. He just went around, as the Bible says, he just went around doing good. And as he did things, people followed him, he healed people, and the religious leaders went after him. So all of the conflicts are from the religious leaders. The last part I really want you to think about, and that's verse 21. It says, and in his name, the Gentiles will trust. Now, the Gentiles are the nations. That's anyone that's not Jewish. Jesus has come to offer himself as the king of the Jews. And he ends this little passage. Isaiah ends it by saying, the Gentiles will be the one to trust him. Now, I want you to understand something that's so amazing. Jesus came into his own, as John 1.11 says, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He came to his Jewish people, and as a, as a nation of people, they rejected him. Now, many Jewish people trusted in Jesus, James, John, Paul, all those people, but the, many of them trusted Christ, but the nation as a whole did not. But who did believe in him? The nations, the Gentiles are the ones that begin to believe in the Messiah. Let me tell you something you may not understand. Throughout the history, throughout history, Jewish people have recognized 30 messiahs. 30 different times they've said, this person is the messiah. If you read the book of Acts, 
when when uh, Paul gets arrested, even the the one of the Jewish leaders one of the Jewish leaders says something like, "Well, we remember this guy named Thaddeus who claimed to be the Messiah, and about four hundred people went with him, but then he died. And then he names another guy's name, and about three hundred people went with him, and he died. So they've had people that they believed was the Messiah. Now let me tell you what's amazing." Of the 30 messiahs that have been named, the Jewish people have announced that they believed in 29 of the 30 every time they've been wrong. The one that the Jewish people rejected, guess who he is? That's Jesus. The only one that they've rejected was Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one that the Gentiles have believed in. And so Jesus has come as the king, and they rejected him. And he says, in him the Gentiles will trust. And let's, let's just face it, that most of the church, the body of Christ that's going on today, most of the people in the body of Christ are Gentiles, not Jews. Now, we want the Jewish people to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and toward the end when you get to the tribulation and all that time, Jewish nations are going to turn back to God and believe in Jesus Christ, but not right now. And so even in Matthew, when he quotes Isaiah, he quotes that the Gentiles are going to be the ones to follow this Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, watch what happens. So he says, Jesus is the one, and, and he, re, he quotes that because instead of Jesus confronting the religious leaders, he goes away, just like Isaiah said he would do. And then now we're going to see this. We're going to see he cast out demons. And what do they say about this? The truth, there, by the way, there is no in-between. I'm going to talk more about it in a minute when he gets to the part of this passage because Jesus is going to be the one to say it. There are a lot of people who say something like this. Oh, I, I, I sort of haven't decided about Jesus yet. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't believe, but, I, I, you know, I, there is no in-between. There's not a fence that you're on and you're saying, I'm either going to disbelieve or believe. Listen, you either believe or you don't believe. There is no in-between. Jesus says, if you're not with me, you're what? You're against me. There's no such thing as saying, I'm just kind of hadn't made up my mind yet. There's no such thing. He that believes not is condemned already, John 3, 18. So we're going to see this. Look what Jesus does. Then a demon-possessed man, this is verse 22, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man saw and spoke and saw. So here's this man who can't see and he can't talk, and they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus heals him just like that. And it's just amazing because he has the power, the power to heal and, and here's the question before we get any further. Is this power God's authority and power, or is it Satan against himself? Because that's what they're going to say. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say that when Jesus heals this man, he's from Satan. Jesus' power is satanic. Now, we're going to get into what that means in just a second. Look at the response by the people. All the crowds were amazed when they see Jesus do this. The crowds were amazed and they were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? Now, by the way, remember the son of David is the title for the Messiah. They've seen the miracles. They've seen him eat. They've seen, uh, they've, he's fed them. He's healed people. Uh, they're amazed at what he's done. And then they say, in fact, the way it's written in the Greek, they kept on saying, this could not be the son of David, could it? Son of David is the title of the king entitled the Messiah. Now, by the way, if you just read this in English, you're not sure. In Greek, when they say, this is not the son of David, is it? it's expecting a no answer. They're saying, we don't think he's the son of David. We don't think he's the Messiah. Why in the world would they say that? They've just seen that. Well, number one, is maybe they were so shocked 
at what they're saying, or number two, maybe they were afraid of the religious leaders. And we find throughout the Gospel of Matthew that many people were afraid that the religious leaders would turn against them, and so they wouldn't admit that they believed about Jesus. There were many people who were called secret disciples that actually believed in Christ and trusted him in everything, but they didn't tell anybody. In fact, they didn't tell anybody until after he was risen from the grave. So that happens a lot. I mean, this is, so why did the people say, gosh, we, we don't think he's the Messiah? Watch what happens. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. This is the response by the Pharisees. It was to call him Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub, you know what Beelzebub means? It means Lord of the Flies. That's what it means. It was a title for, for Satan. It was a title for the devil. It, we know that there are, there are angelic beings uh, that God created, and there are good angels, which we call elect angels, and then there are bad angels, which we call demons. And Satan was an was a, a angel that rebelled against God and was removed, and there's some angels with him, and so we call them demons, and we call that this angel, this, this bad angel, we call him Lucifer, we call him Satan. He's got a lot of names. He's sometimes called Beelzebub. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus heal this man, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub. They're saying he's casting out demons by Satan. He's casting out demons by Satan. And this is not the first time they said that. Let me read this to you. This is back in chapter 9, verse 32 and 33. They were, he was going around, and a demon-possessed man was brought to him, and the demon uh, was cast out, and the man spoke, and the people were amazed. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. That was back in chapter 9. This is not the first time they've said this. So a decision has actually come. What will you do with Jesus Christ? At this time, a decision has come. Is Jesus Christ from God? And is he the Messiah? Is he the King? Is he the Savior of the world? Or is he a demon-possessed man fooling people and the miracles that he's doing is coming from the devil? So that's what the religious leaders, they, they don't know how to answer. They know he's doing miracles. They can't deny the miracles. So that's what they say. So they look and they say to Jesus, basically they say to Jesus, because in a minute he says he's going to know their thoughts and everything. He says, but the Pharisees heard this and they said, this man cast out the demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So Jesus is going to answer them. And he's going to answer them with three proofs that it's not from Satan. He's going to say, my authority is not from Satan. Watch what he does. Here's the first one. He said, it's absurd that Satan would divide himself. Look at the verse. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself, and how can how will his kingdom stand? He basically says, if, if I was from Satan and I'm casting out Satan, I'm casting out demons, then I'm fighting against myself. And he says it's absurd that Satan would fight against himself. That's his first statement. And then the second one is this. He says that fellow Jews also did exorcisms. How are they doing it? Now, you, I don't know if you understand this, but at the time of Christ, there were people, there were Jewish people going around doing exorcisms. If you remember in the book of Acts, there was a man uh, who had seven sons, and his, the, the, it was called the seven sons of a man named Sceva, 
and they went around casting out demons. That's what they thought they were doing. And they came to this man, and they said, we cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They were not even believers. And the demon inside of them said, I know Paul, and I know Jesus, but we don't know you. And they jumped on them and beat them all up. So there, sometimes there were people who cast out demons who claimed to be casting out. So Jesus says, listen, verse 27, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For by this reason, they'll be your judges. He basically says, if I'm casting out demons by Satan, who do your people cast out demons by? And then he has one more. Because he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God's come upon you. If I'm from God, this is a real thing. And then finally, he gives the third thing, which is Jesus is stronger than Satan. He says, how can anyone enter a strong man's house, carry off his property, unless he first binds the strong man, and then he'll plunder the house? Jesus said, no, but I'm stronger than Satan. That's why I'm able to cast out the demons. Now, this is really a hard passage, but here's what he's basically saying. They came to him and they said, you're from the, the devil. And he said, well, first of all, the devil wouldn't divide himself and fight against himself. Second is, who do your people cast out demons? If I cast them out by Satan, who do they cast them out? And third, the only way I could cast out a demon is I'm power, more powerful than a demon. Since I am God, I can cast out the demons. So that's what he's basically saying. Now, now we get to the part that most people have been confused about for a long time. And that is, what in the world is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What does this mean? I've had people come to me and say, I think I've messed up. And I said, what did you do? I think I've done the unpardonable sin. I said, really? Yeah, I don't think I can ever go to heaven. I said, really? So what is the unpardonable sin? They don't know what it is. They just think they did it. All they know is, I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I said, what does that mean? And they go, I don't know. And I said, so you don't even know what you did, but you think you did it, right? And so there are people who think somehow they've done something wrong that is so bad that they can never go to heaven. And, and there are sometimes even believers who say, well, I'm a believer, but I've done this, so I lost my salvation. You can't lose your salvation. The moment you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. So what in the world is this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Let me simply tell you what it is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing the work of Jesus Christ to the devil. That's why he's going to bring this up. What have they just said he's doing? They said that his miracles are done by the power of Satan. So watch what Jesus does. And as he gets to this part, he's going to talk about blasphemy. But look at verse 30, because this is a key. He says, he who is not with me is against me. And who does not gather with me scatters. He's saying there is no in between. Either Jesus Christ is God, the Messiah, and the Savior, or he's not. People cannot say, I don't know, I'm just sort of in between. There is no in between. Either you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior or you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you say, well, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, then you're rejecting Christ as your Savior. That's what the Bible says in John 3, 18. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there is no in between. And Jesus says, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're either with me or you're not. And now he's going to get to that part that is so, that is a, a strange statement, and, and watch what he does. Uh, by the way, I, I remember going, uh, when I was at Dallas Seminary, we had to go door to door. I told you all about that time. They called it Day of Evangelism. You just go into neighborhoods and talk to people, and I remember going in this neighborhood with another guy, and I went and knocked on the front door, and nobody was there. I mean, they never, and so as we were walking around the house, we saw a guy in the backyard, so we said, let's go talk to him. So I went and talked to him, and I said, yeah, we're from Dallas Seminary. Can we, you know, ask you some Spiritual questions, the guy went, yeah, yeah. And so we started talking about Christ. And he said, oh, wait, wait, you talking about Jesus? I haven't decided yet. I'm sort of in the middle. I haven't decided, you know, whether I believe in him or not. And I, I said to him, I said, 
There is no middle ground. You either believe in him or you're not believing in him. You're either rejecting him or you're believing in him. There is no middle ground, and there isn't. Listen, when a person says to you, well, I'm still thinking about it, what, they're in the rejecting side right there. Okay? Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. There is no in-between. So watch what he says, and this is powerful. Verse 31, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall forgiven people. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. What does it mean to speak against the Holy Spirit? Do you want, and by the way, blasphemy means to speak badly, to say something bad. When Jesus came to the earth, Isaiah even says it, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus lived his life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can't always grasp our well because there's one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But Jesus actually says as he lives on this earth, the power in which he lived was the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he did his miracles, he did his miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. To say that Jesus is from the devil is to say that the Holy Spirit is of the devil. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to attribute the works of Jesus Christ to the devil. So if a person said, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to attribute the works of Jesus Christ to Satan because you're saying that Jesus is doing his miracles in the power of the Spirit who is the devil. So you're calling the Holy Spirit the devil when you say blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he basically says, when you do that, you're saying you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. You believe that Jesus Christ is of the devil. He is not the Messiah and the Savior, and you're not trusting in Christ. That's why there is no forgiveness. Forgiveness, it says, when a person rejects Jesus, they reject forgiveness. Forgiveness of God comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, this sin can't be committed today. Think about this. Is Jesus on the earth now? Is Jesus doing miracles today? On this earth, the answer is no. Now, if he was the closest thing you could ever come to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to say, I believe that when Jesus was on the earth, his power was from the devil. That's about as close as you're going to get to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because he's not on the earth and he's not doing his things in the power of, he's not doing his things in the power of the Holy Spirit now. And so when a person says, well, I hope I don't commit the unpardonable sin, the unpardonable sin means you're not trusting Jesus Christ, you're believing he was of the devil, and you're believing the Holy Spirit is the devil's power, not God's power. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So I don't even think a person could do it today unless they would say, I just think Jesus was from the devil. Then you're not trusting Christ as Savior. Now, look what he goes on to say, because here's the key. The religious leaders, by their mouths, are saying, we believe Jesus is from the devil and his power is from the devil. He's going to talk about what we say. Look, he says, and, and this is the last part, and it deals with our words and our message. And he makes a statement, people will stand before God based on their statements concerning Jesus Christ. Watch. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, because the tree is known by its fruit. Now, let me say something to you. You've heard me teach this before. We've already taught it in the Gospel of Matthew. When people say you will know them by their what? By their fruits. The fruits is not their lifestyle. The fruits is not lifestyle. The fruit here is not lifestyle. It's message. You will know them by their message. And that's why he says here, he says, look, either the tree has good fruit or bad fruit. 
A tree is known by its fruit. It's by the message. In that passage, when it says you'll know them by their fruits, it's plural there, it's talking about their life, their message is not their lifestyle because their lifestyle is good. They look like sheep. That's the passage of false prophets. And so when you see this passage, notice he's going to talk about what you say. Notice, either make the good tree good, the uh, fruit good, or make the bad, uh, bad tree bad fruit, for the tree is known by its fruit. And he calls them, listen to what he says to the religious leaders, you brood of snakes. How can you be an evil, speak which is good? You, you, you don't believe, what are you going to say? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Listen, if you say Jesus from Satan, if you say he's from Satan, you're not, you're not believing in him. If you say Jesus from God, then you will. If you say that the mouth speaks from the heart, notice what he says, For the mouth speaks which fills the heart. The message comes from what you believe. So he calls them snakes. And then he says this, the good man brings out of the good treasure, which is good, and the evil man brings out of the evil treasure, which is evil. For I tell you, every careless word that you speak will give an account. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. He says the good man declares faith in Jesus Christ, that he believes. The evil man declares Jesus is from Satan. In the flow of this passage, he's saying, if a religious leader says Jesus is from Satan, he's not believing in him. If a person says Jesus is from God and he's the Messiah and the King and the Savior, that's, that's the right person. So a good man, he says, the good man speaks and says, I believe in Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If you came to me and you said this, if you said, JB, do you think you're going to heaven? And I said, I'm pretty sure I am. And you said, why? And I said, well... Because I, I believe that Jesus was, a, was like a good man, and I think that if I do good works, uh, I can make it to heaven. What my mouth is saying is that I'm not trusting in Jesus. I'm trusting in myself. But if you came to me and you said, J.B., do you think you're going to go to heaven? I said, yeah, I know I am. Why? Because Jesus Christ is my Savior. He died for me and paid for sin, and I trusted in him. I have eternal life. By my mouth, my message is made known. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying you're going to know them by what their message is. That's why he says in verse 37, by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. The words Jesus Christ is Messiah and Savior, that's justification. Words Jesus Christ is not from God, he's from Satan, that's condemnation. All he's saying in this passage is, whatever you say about Jesus, and I'm not talking about just what you say, I'm talking about what you actually believe because that comes from your heart. If you say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and I'm trusting in him and him alone, you're saved. If you say, I don't believe Jesus Christ is God, I believe he's from the devil, that's what they were saying, they're not saved because you're not trusting in him. What do we say about Jesus Christ? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's the Messiah and the Savior? Have you trusted him for eternal life? Do you believe he was from Satan? I know you don't. I know when we think about this, most people don't even know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's attributed in the works of Jesus Christ to Satan. By the way, there is no in-between. You're either with him or not. Verse 30, who is with me, who is not with me, is against me. So what have we seen? Let me give you some applications. Let's understand that how we view Jesus Christ makes an eternal difference. It does. We must believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's what we do. We trust in him, him alone. We believe that he's from God, that he's the Savior, that he died on the cross, that he paid for sin, that we trust in him. And each person has to make that decision. There is no in-between. You either justify or condemn or justify by faith in Christ. We understand he died and rose again. They're condemned by rejection. If a person rejects Jesus Christ as Savior, then they're not saved. Uh, we're not saying that someday they might not trust in Christ. I hope they do. And there are people that we know and come in contact with all the time that would say, well, I have not trusted in Christ. Well, they're rejecting him and they're condemned at that point. But maybe later on they would put their faith in Christ before they die. That's what we hope. So each person must believe in Jesus Christ. Understand 
let's understand blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. You're not going to commit the unpardonable sin. If you have already trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, first of all, you're saved and saved forever. If you've ever trusted in Jesus to give you eternal life, he has given you eternal life, and you're saved and saved forever, and nothing can ever change that. If a person is not a believer, and I, I don't think very many unbelievers today are going to say, I think Jesus Christ is of the devil when he did his miracles on the earth. If they did, there's, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but it'd be awfully hard to do it today because Jesus isn't on the earth doing those miracles. Understand what it is, and somebody come up to you and say they think they've committed the unpardonable sin. There's not such a thing in that sense. That's, a tr- that's rejecting Christ. Now, if you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you say, I don't believe in him, I'm not trusting him, I believe in something else, then you're rejecting him. And you do not have the forgiveness of sin which comes by faith. The second application is, let's understand that we who have trusted Christ will be known by our message. What do you tell people? Do you tell them you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior? By your words, you are justified. By your words, you're condemned. Listen, I've talked to people. I'm going to say this, and I know time is, we got one other thing we're going to do before. I just got to tell you this. Listen, I've talked to some people, and I'll say, let me ask you a question. And we talk, and I'll say, if you were to die, you think you'd go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I think I would. I said, why? And then they beat around the bush. Well, I've tried to do this, and I love God, and I do this, this, this. And finally, we get back around to the part about trusting Christ, and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've trusted in Christ as my Savior. And I say to them, why didn't you say that? I mean, why are you not clear? Why would you beat around all the bush? Why, when somebody says, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? Why don't you say, yes, because I put my faith in Christ. He has given to me eternal life, and I'm saved forever. So be clear. You're going to be known by your message. Be clear on your message that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. I hope and pray that everyone in this room, if you've never trusted Christ right where you're sitting right now, you can put your faith in Christ, and you can have eternal life simply by faith.